Hello and welcome to this October 11th edition of Sports Voice After Dark. I'm Josh Burton here with Ben Krieger, uh, both of our first time, uh, both our debut appearances on the Sports Voice After Dark podcast. We're both very excited. A lot of stuff to talk about in the sports world. Uh, ben, how's it going? I'm pretty good. It should be a really fun time. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, Josh, but definitely going to be nervous for that lightning round that we'll get to later. going to be a big deal this week, I think. <laughs> yes, of course. And uh, the first thing we're going to talk about today is uh, I know we're in the middle of football season. We've got a lot of other sports, soccer uh, going on, and basketball season is a few weeks away. But the Northwestern baseball schedule was released uh, last week. Last week, yes. And uh, some interesting differences from last year. Last year, Spencer Allen's first season as the coach of Northwestern, the team went 15-39. and 39. Had some bright spots, a lot of nice young players, especially some talent up the middle. Um but yeah, the the schedule uh, this year no Cal Cal Northwestern series against Cal last year four games in three days maybe the most one sided college baseball series in the last couple of years no Cal on this schedule but some other interesting teams uh, Ben what are your initial thoughts uh, looking at the uh, new schedule for the 2017 season Well the first thing that jumps out at me Josh has got to be they start the season at home this year last year they started out with a road trip to a tournament. Uh, and I think that's going to be a major difference for the Wildcats this year. Seven and seventeen in the conference, ob- uh, obviously fifteen and thirty-nine overall. Not the greatest season last year, and I think a lot of that, not necessarily can be traced back, but may have been caused by a rough start in an on-the-road tournament. This year, they're starting off with an easier matchup at home uh, against three minor schools, uh, really to open it up um, in the fall. And then, of course, they go to Arizona State come springtime. So I think that having those home games early on. In the fall, you know, in the preseason, I think it's going to help the Wildcats get situated better. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Last year, uh, Northwestern, under Spencer Allen, coming over from Illinois, being their hitting coach, uh, a lot of young guys being worked in, thrown into the fire. Very few veterans, guys like Jake Stolle, pitcher, Zach Jones, first baseman, that graduated. But last year was a very young team. That was a thing that, that was a trend we saw a lot of all season. Uh, bullpen wasn't great. A lot of errors in the infield especially, uh, that should get better this year. I mean, we're, we're expecting a lot of guys to improve. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think even though the games, the home games, as you said, are a little separated from the rest of the season, I think it is good. We'll, just, we'll, get, we'll get some, maybe get a, nice, a few Ws on the schedule before the season starts. It's always good to start the season off with a win. But as you said, the first uh, real uh, series of the year is in Tempe against Arizona State against a team that... I mean, if you know baseball, you know Arizona State has produced a lot of big pros. Barry Bonds went to Arizona State. Dustin Pedroia went to Arizona State. I could keep going on. But, yeah, that's another tough opponent. And Spencer Allen's made it clear that he's not going to just schedule cupcakes. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much maybe direct intervention he has in the schedule. But it's good to see them challenging themselves, you know? Absolutely. You definitely see that with that Arizona State, you know, Cal last year, Arizona State, like you're saying, these are some major programs that they're matching up against. And, of course, like we're talking about with the scheduling, it's difficult because, you know, in Chicago, season starts in February, you can't really play baseball at home right away. So I think that's part of that road trip aspect. And I think that's why these fall games that they've scheduled in are so important, not just to get the wins, like you're saying, but to get comfortable in your own stadium. Because essentially when you come back, obviously you still have home field advantage, but you spent all winter not being able to you know, practice in your own stadium because it was snowing, just like all these other teams out west had more time to practice in their own stadium. So you're at a little bit of a disadvantage there, which is why I think it's good that they have those home games in the fall to get adjusted. And I think that that, that scheduling that you're talking about 
starting off the actual season with a difficult matchup. It's going to show them what they need to improve on. I think the flaws are going to really be exposed early on in the season in that Arizona State uh, series and then in that Music City Classic tournament in Tennessee. They're going to struggle early, I think, coming off the winner. That always happens, and I think that having tough opponents at the start is better than having them at the end because you really get to see what you need to improve on right away. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, setting a nice tone to the season is going to be obviously very important. Um, yeah, that's going to be important. Uh, a lot of guys, I mentioned this before, but Jack Dunn at shortstop, Willie Bourbon up the middle, both freshmen last year, Bourbon at second base. Those guys are going to be key to this team. you got Connor Lynn coming back at third base. We don't really know who the first baseman is going to be. Catcher's a little bit of a question. Uh, Jack Clay's had his struggles last year. But really, that infield is three-quarters of that infield is coming back, so you can only expect improvements from them, which is obviously good. And, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, the second year in the new regime of Spencer Allen, uh, I think he's going to say a lot about how the program is going. He's starting to get his own recruits into the system a little bit. Um, and one of the things I'd just like to jump in and add really that jumped out at me is if you look at the standings from last year and you look at Northwestern's schedule this coming year, Northwestern doesn't play the top three teams in the conference this year. They play Indiana, who finished fourth, or I guess tied for third with Ohio State last year. They don't have to play Minnesota, Nebraska, or Ohio State, or Michigan, who finished uh, four, I believe, fifth in the conference. So they really don't have a very tough conference schedule. And that's why it's, it's a contrast with that, you know, playing a team like Arizona State early. When they actually get into their conference schedule... It's, I don't want to say easy, but significantly less difficult than it could have been not having to face any of those top teams in Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio State. Their best team they play is Indiana. Again, Ohio State, third last year, and then winning the tournament uh, in the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Um, so I think this is a good chance for this young, like you're saying, new young regime to really take a step forward in their conference play because the schedule is a little bit softer. They play a lot of teams. Last year, the conference had a lot of teams around 500. Not a lot of separation in the pack other than Purdue way at the bottom and Minnesota and Nebraska way at the top. Um, a lot of teams right around 500. I think Northwestern's going to be able to hopefully take advantage of that and really make some strides in their conference play this year. Yeah, and also, uh, we didn't mention this, but this, their record last year, especially in conference, was a little inflated by a three-game sweep of Purdue in early May. Purdue was a really bad team last year. Um, them and Northwestern kind of on the same level. But you take out those three wins, Northwestern's 4-17 and in the Big Ten. I'm looking right now, There's a they had a bunch of big losing streaks. And with a young team, when you don't play well, you don't get a good pitching performance maybe in the first game of the series, and the hitting uh, doesn't come with that, it can kind of spiral. And that happened a lot for Northwestern. I mean, I covered a lot of the games last year, and you could just see it, it just looked like they were playing. They got a little down on themselves, and you can't blame them. A 15-39 and 39 record is not good for the optics, but that should... It, as we've, we've talked about, the schedule is a little easier, maybe a little top-heavy, tough, tougher teams, tougher West Coast teams, Arizona State, Santa Clara in the beginning. We really don't know who's going to be in that Music City Classic uh, this year. But, you know, Michigan, as you said, uh, that conference schedule is a little easier. And that's the that's the big portion of the – maybe it's not the biggest portion of the schedule, but it's a nice portion of it. That's the last couple of months of the season. And that's how you can set a tone going into next season. Uh, you end the season with a couple of nice series wins. It's always good to see. And it's absolutely the most important part of the schedule. I mean, obviously, like you said, near the bottom of the, of the conference, but only a couple of wins away from maybe fringing into the tournament, which this year seems pretty unlikely. But like you're saying, young program, new coach, you want to see the building blocks. It's all about, as Amit, like, as Amit loves to say, the process. It's all about the process. You want to take steps towards getting better. And so 
Northwestern, I think, just needs to get a couple more wins than they had last year. It would be nice if they get some wins against teams other than Purdue, like you said. They just want to keep building the blocks, trust the process, trust your new coach, and continue to improve and get better because in a couple of years, if they can follow those steps, we could see them rise back near the top of the conference. And another aspect that uh, we should touch on is that this will be the second season that Northwestern is going to be playing in the new Rocky and Berenice Miller Park. Last year on a lot of, obviously, we're right on Lake Michigan here in Evanston. A lot of those windy days, balls were flying out to left field, looked like there was a real uh, jet stream of sorts there. And, and now Northwestern has to use that home field advantage uh, to better itself and the pitchers are going to have to change how they pitch on certain days and that's the thing that opposing teams are only in town for three days over the weekend uh, aren't going to really have any time to adjust to so I think Northwestern really has to use that uh, the Rocky and Berenice Miller Park advantage for its own benefit and I, I, I just think in general a lot of guys are coming back I, we didn't even mention Matt Hoffner in the outfield uh, returning again this season a lot of interesting guys in the outfield that uh, we'd like to see some more stuff from uh, the pitching staff, Reed Mason and Jake Stolle, are gone. Uh, but Joe Schindler's back. Tommy Bordignone is back. Uh, a lot of interesting arms in the bullpen that didn't really get going last year but showed f- promise at times. Uh, it's just going to be those top two starters. Northwestern's going to have to find production from somewhere. Absolutely. They're just going to have to continue to build on what they have. And it's going to be those younger players trying to step up and some of the returning cast uh also having to step into major roles and start producing. I think you're absolutely right. That lake effect, a new stadium last year, you don't really have that home field advantage when it's brand new. This year they should be a lot better adjusted and hopefully can take advantage of that. Okay, and now we're going to transition away from Northwestern sports a little bit. Uh, right now the baseball playoffs are in the middle, uh, in the thick of things. The NFL season is going on. But the next major season to start is the NHL starting in a couple of days. Um, and there's – it was uh, – it was – then it was an offseason of a lot of major trades. I'm a Devils fan. The Devils traded for Taylor Hall, for Adam Larson with Edmonton. Edmonton made some other big moves. Uh, what are some of the things you, you saw this offseason that you're excited to see going forward as this new NHL season starts? Well, i got to say, I really like what, the, like what you said, what Edmonton's done. They've, done a, they've made a lot of moves. You said it from the Devils' perspective. They made a lot of moves, adding young and upcoming, uh, young and, a young and upcoming defender like Adam Larson, a skilled veteran in Milan Lucic, although... Obviously, they were near the bottom of the league last year, but I love what they did. The team that I'm really looking at this year in the NHL as a big storyline, the Minnesota Wild. The Minnesota Wild, I have them slotted in to make the playoffs. They added a new coach in Bruce Bordreau from the from the Ducks, who in eight seasons, he's had he's coached eight full seasons as a head coach in the NHL. His team has won the division all eight times. Bruce Bordreau fired from the Ducks for a lack of playoff production, which is a fair critique, although I'm not one who... I don't generally support firing coaches who don't succeed in the playoffs because I think the playoffs are the most difficult arena that there are. When you do it over the body of a season, I think you got to stick with your coach. But they made they decided they decided to move on. The Wild already a solid team last year. They add Bruce Bordreau. They also add Eric Stahl on a good deal, which is gonna turn into a steal if he can go back to his earlier career form. If he continues to decline due to age, it becomes just a regular deal. But he's a veteran presence, so I think the Wild are gonna be the most improved team this year. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good call. The Wild have, it feels like they've been just kind of like, since they acquired Zach Parise a few years ago, they've always been kind of like nibbling at being one of the top teams in the Western Conference, but they've never been able to like put it together fully. Um, They just edged into the playoffs this year by a few points as that last wildcard team. And they kind of were a little disappointing overall. They had a 500 record uh, away from XL Energy Center in Minneapolis. Uh, And yeah, they just... They've got a lot of interesting pieces there, but they're 
they've made some moves. The Thomas Vanek move didn't work great for them. But they, yeah, maybe this is the year they turn the corner. I definitely could see that happening. They have a really tough division, too. I mean, you look at the at the central division, you got the Stars, the Blues, the Blackhawks, the Preds all in front of them last year. Um, that's why I think this subtle move, I think Boudreaux is going to be a real difference maker on the bench for them. Um, just, he's got a culture of winning, at least in the regular season. Again, not super successful in the playoffs thus far, but I think he's going to be a difference maker. The other, a couple other major storylines... Are we done with the Kings-Blackhawks dynasty eras in the West? I mean, for five titles in six years, neither team made the Cup Finals last year for the first time in a while. And I think that it's going to be interesting to look at whether their you know five, six-year reign of dominance as the two premier teams in the West is starting to go down. Neither team really performed last year in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. But I, I like to think, I always go back to the goalie because, I mean, everything comes down to it's really hard to win a Stanley Cup without a good goalie. And Corey Crawford and Jonathan Quick are still both near the top of their game. They're near the top of the league. And both teams still have a lot of weapons. They both put up a lot of points last year. It's just, as you said, the playoffs, it's kind of hard. I mean, you catch a hot team, uh, and it, it kind of that's kind of how a series can go, and it can knock out one of the better teams in the league. So last year, San Jose made the finals in the West, and they didn't even, they didn't even have 100 points. Dominant teams like Dallas... Dallas rolled through the season, scoring tons of goals, and they didn't even make the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's kind of hard. I just I think that there there's good coaches in those places, uh, and there's just good systems. I don't know. I I could see a bit of a step back. I just don't. I don't like casting them them off too soon. So you don't think the era is over yet? I don't think the era is over. Maybe the dominant eras are over, but I still think they're contending. I mean, eight teams make the playoffs from each mm-hmm. conference. I think it'd be hard to kind of count either of those. Uh, out in the West with a bunch of rebuilding teams. I love to hear that as a Kings fan. And I guess uh, one more major question for the season that I'm curious your thoughts on. Can the East maintain its remarkable parity? Since 2010, the only team to make the Cup twice from the East is Boston. So you look at the West, you have the Kings and the Blackhawks just going back and forth winning Cups. But in the East, you've got incredible parity. Of course, last year the Penguins breaking through for the Cup. Do you think that the Penguins maybe, can not necessarily a dynasty where they win every year, but do you think that that incredible parity is going to stay in the East? I think uh, I think it's definitely possible. I, I still think the Capitals are by far the team to beat. I mean, not too many changes there. Uh, Pittsburgh, obviously, we don't know how serious this Sidney Crosby concussion is. Just going down this, and now uh, the Panthers, one of the more upstart teams from last year, they'll be without a young standout Jonathan Huberto for a while. And even look at the Rangers. The Rangers have... They, they're always making big acquisitions. They're always bringing stars in. They lost Keith Yandel in free agency to Florida. And Henrik Lundqvist, he's still a good player, but he just doesn't have the support that he, you bring all these stars in and they're still not able to get yeah. the job done. So I think the East is, the East to me is the more wild card of the conference. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of interesting teams there. Like Toronto made a few interesting moves this year, obviously uh, drafting Austin Matthews first overall. I think my Devils, I'm, I'm always partial to the Devils, but the Devils needed a big score and they got one of the better scores in the league for a defenseman, Adam Larson, who's been inconsistent for a while. And even Boston, Boston bringing in David Backus. They didn't even make the playoffs last year, the Bruins. Uh, I think that's a really interesting team to watch. I also think the Islanders lost Matt Martin to Toronto this year, but brought in Andrew Ladd, some other signings. I think that's an interesting team. Uh, there's just a lot of the East to me's, as you said, there is a lot of parity. A lot of teams are clumped together. You're looking at it right now. Last year, the second and seventh teams in the conference only separated by eight points, yeah. which is pretty crazy when you think about it. 
Um, but I think the top of that conference is pretty set. Washington, Pittsburgh, those are, I think, by far the most two talented teams. You could say Tampa Bay maybe making uh, should make a bit of a resurgence. Obviously, the uh, three twins line is a great one. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of there's a lot of movement this summer. It's kind of hard to tell where some of these teams stand. Sort of referencing that, I'm curious. I think we should go over my. I know I have my picks for who's going to make the playoffs uh, in the NHL. I'm curious if you want to go division by division and see who we think's making it in. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, so. In, I guess I can start with uh, on the West in the Central Division. Uh, I was looking at a team like the St. Louis Blues taking the next step. Uh, they're a young and developing team. I mean, they lost some talent, obviously. You know, last year they were already without Oshie from two years ago, one of their better players, uh, obviously leaving. But I think that they're just a young team continuing to grow and develop. So I have the Blues atop the Central Division. I'm curious who you think. Uh, I think the Blues are interesting. They just traded for Nail Yakupov, I, I believe it was yesterday. And he's another, I'm not really sure what the Oilers' strategy is. They're kind of uh, unloading a lot of their young wings. Um, but, yeah, the Blues are interesting. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't see what, what what has changed from Dallas that's going to make them a lot worse. I know Alex Goligoski's in Arizona now, but I still think the core of that team is still there. I think they're still going to score a lot of goals. Obviously, the defense is a question. They allow the second, uh, third most goals in that central division. Um but I just, I don't know, I have a hard time counting out the Blackhawks. I, I mm. think that they're they're always going to hang around. Uh, that team just is always winning. Uh, if I were to pick a division winner, I would say uh, Chicago with Nashville uh, right behind maybe St. Louis uh, in there too. Yeah, so we are we have a pretty similar, slightly different order. I have the Stars, like you said. I see them making the playoffs. I have them second in the division. I think they're going to have a great year. It's just hard to win. You know, it's hard to have whatever, 109 points back-to-back years. And I have the Predators third. I think adding uh, P.K. Subban is going to be huge for them. It's really going to bring some fire to that team. And I am biased. I don't like the Blackhawks. I have them uh, snagging a wild card spot, mostly because of the improvement of the Blues and the Predators, that I have them jumping the Blackhawks. And I obviously still have the Blackhawks in the playoffs. I mean, I don't think you could, until we see something crazy, I don't think you can count them out of the playoffs or count them out as, you know, Stanley Cup, serious Stanley Cup contenders. But... They just keep losing pieces from those championship runs from a couple of years ago. They just keep shedding pieces. And it, it's a good example is what the Kings are going through, too, of why it's so hard to have a dynasty in professional sports. You know, in in baseball, there's no salary cap. It's a little bit easier. Teams like the Yankees back in the day. In the NBA, when you can affect it with, you know, three stars can control the game, it's easier. But in a sport like hockey, a sport like football, it's so hard to maintain success for that long. So that's why I have them as the wild card. I have the wild as my, my last wild card team. Um, from that division, so I have five teams from that division making it through. Yeah, I would say something around there. I, I don't know. I think the Wild are an interesting team. I just don't know. They, they've they never shown me that they can kind of put it all together. Yeah. I think that the that last spot in the West will be really close. There's a lot of interesting teams in the Pacific that have made some moves. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm not ready to commit a, a fifth uh, spot to there. So I, I went four and four. So who'd you have in the Pacific Division? Well, I think the Ducks, obviously. The Ducks are a really good team. The Kings are always going to be there. And the Sharks adding Mikael Bodker from the Coyotes was an interesting move. And I think that Calgary, I think Calgary takes this step. They made a big move a few days ago in re-signing Johnny Goudreau. Uh, they brought back some other of the key pieces. They had a big offseason in terms of bringing back restricted free agents. Uh yeah, they're, they're always, the Flames have been disappointing for a while, but I think that they can make the next step and kind of just edge uh, Minnesota for that last spot. Yeah, I had the uh, the Sharks, the Kings, and the Ducks in that order. I think the Sharks, building on last, last year's playoff momentum, Martin Jones is already one of the better goaltenders in the league. He was sensational in the playoffs. I think that 
the Sharks are going to continue to grow. And I think the Kings and the Ducks, while both making the playoffs, are going to take small steps back from their point totals last year. The Kings had a big loss, Milan Lucic leaving um, to go to Edmonton. He was perfect for their system. And the fact they gave up a first-round pick for him and then he still left, it just hurts that organization. Um, and the Ducks, I think, are still talented, like you said. I think they're still going to make it. But, you know, trading Anderson, he's a good player. He's a good young goaltender. And I think losing, Bo- I think letting Boudreau go or getting rid of Boudreau is going to be a mistake in the regular season. I think they'll still make the playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong and they turn the corner in the playoffs without Boudreau, but I think he's a good coach. So I think that's why those two teams regress and the Sharks take that top spot in the division. Yeah, if you want to go to the East now, we Let's can go to the uh, East. We'll go to the East. I'll start with my Metropolitan Division. Yeah. I think Washington, the Capitals, I think they're by far the best team in the entire league. 120 points, no major changes to their roster, and frustration from that playoff exit, I think, is going to... I mean, I could see them topping 120 points, honestly. The question with them, though, is that it seems that there is frustration from an early playoff exit every single season. Yeah. And outside of racking up a ton of points, it really never does anything in the playoffs. So uh, I... I have I do not understand at all why they can never put it together in the postseason. It doesn't make sense to me, but they'll be in the playoffs again. They'll be at the top of the table. Absolutely, um, I agree with you 100. percent Again, don't know what's wrong in the playoffs, but I don't see anybody else catching them in this division. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have Washington. I have the those two teams, uh, Washington and Pittsburgh, gunning it out for the Metropolitan title. But I do have the Rangers falling back a little bit this year. They have a. Very, they have some aging guys. They lost Yandel. Yandel was a big piece of that uh, end of the year playoff run last year. And I, th- I have the Islanders taking their place. The Islanders a little up and down, had some injuries. Yaroslav Halak missed must much of the postseason, and Thomas Grice had to fill in uh, due to injury. And I have the Devils taking the step up. I think they're going to be the fourth team in that division. And I have the Flyers staying in that fifth spot. Columbus hasn't done. Columbus or Carolina to me ha- haven't uh, done enough. To kind of Flyers snagging a wild card spot again. Yeah, so we have a <laughs> no, we have think, a pretty different. I think they'll be like the eighth team. They they were. Yeah, I have them fifth in that division still. Yeah, and it's that. Do you think that'd be enough to make the wild cards? Or do you think the fifth place team in the other division would would beat them? Yeah, I think the bottom of. I mean, we'll talk about the Atlantic in a second. I think the bottom of the Atlantic is just really bad. I mean, you still got the Sabers. Uh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. We'll t- what do you think, Ben? I actually have to agree with Amit and, and disagree with you on some things. I had the Rangers jumping up a spot. Um, I actually a couple spots. I have the Rangers second in the division. Wow. I agree with you. They haven't shown that they can put all the stars together, but you can't deny the star power. And it's more about what the other teams have done that I don't like. The Penguins obviously have done nothing wrong, but we don't know about Crosby. And you see fatigue when you go on a cup run like that. Fatigue often comes in the next season. And so I still see them as great contenders come postseason time. I still see them as making the playoffs, but I feel like they might have a slow start just due to that. that playoff run hangover that is absolutely a thing in hockey I can see them having a slow start and finishing third in the division with the Rangers not necessarily improving but not getting much worse and sort of by attrition moving up to that second spot and then I I have the Islanders wildcard I like the addition of Ladd but they they, they shed a couple young pieces this offseason um, in minor trades and obviously they've got a, just a boatload of young talent but you never want to give up young wings and Ladd is not a dynamic threat. He's a good player. He's not that dynamic threat he once was. So I don't know that he gets the Islanders over the hump. I have them claiming a wild card spot, and then I have the Flyers coming in with the last spot. Uh, I know Amit loves that, but uh, the continuity from last year to this year is important. In, in in major sports, you don't see continuity like what the Capitals have, what the Flyers have, and what the Lightning have. There have not been a ton of major moves for those three teams in this offseason, and I think that's going to carry over. They're going to get a little bit better, grow a little bit as a team, and snag the last spot. 
Yeah, now moving over to the Atlantic uh, division, uh, obviously the Panthers got some really bad news a few days ago when Jonathan Huberto, their star young uh, winger, got injured in the preseason, and they won that division last year, and I don't see that happening again. Uh, obviously bringing <coughs> Keith Yandel, a big free agent signing from the Rangers, was big for them, but Huberto is really the heart and soul of that team. They still got somehow Yarmer Yager is still in the NHL. He is incredible. He's played on almost every team. He's still... He's still one of the most dynamic guys on that team and obviously one of the most respected players in the league. But I think that Tampa Bay is going to fill that uh, void that the Panthers are going to leave. I think the Panthers just won't be able to score enough Huberos out long term. So I think Tampa Bay takes that division. And I think the Atlantic is could go anywhere. I mean, you've got all... I don't think Detroit. I think Detroit takes the step back. They keep losing. Talk about a team that keeps losing older guys that are retiring. I mean, that real that core, which was good for so long, piece by piece, they're just going away now. And I think Boston takes the step up into the playoffs. And I like what some of the teams, like, obviously, I like what Toronto did. Obviously, Austin Matthews, I think Matt Martin is a guy that I know from being in the New York area, but he's a real tough player. Not, not a game changer, per se, but he's a nice piece to add. I don't think Buffalo's there yet, but I think that Ottawa and the Bruins can kind of uh, jump up into that playoff race. I agree with you. I like what some of those bottom teams have done. I just don't think they're there yet either. Uh, I also have the Lightning atop the division. You know, locking up Stamkos, there's there's something to be said for keeping your stars happy, and he's one of the best players in the league. He's got a new contract. He's going to continue to perform. Again, Panthers, a slight slide. I don't think they're going to... I think they're going to comfortably be in the playoffs. I think I have them second in this division, maybe not pacing the division, though, like last year. And my wild... Not my wild card, because I have them third, but my surprise pick for that third spot... Montreal. Wow. Carey Price is healthy again. In his entire career, they have missed the playoffs twice. Since 2007, they've missed the playoffs twice. Both years he's been hurt. Last year, he was obviously hurt for a major portion of that. He's a difference maker. You talked about it earlier. Goaltending is so important. He is one of the best, if not still the best, in the league. And I think that him being back healthy, if he can be healthy for the whole year... They vault all the way up in the standings. I mean, 82 points last year, first of all, not that far out of the realm of, you know, school, you know obviously they need to get in the 90s, but it's not like they were a 60-point team last year. I think with Price back, that's the difference. He's healthy. They make the playoffs. I just don't like I, don't, I just don't like that Subban trade. I know that he had his problems with management, and he was kind of a hothead, you could say, but the talent was there, and I think that making... They can't say that that trade was made for hockey reasons. Obviously, Shea Weber is a good player, great player, but I mean that was not a that was more of a business front office decision than an on ice type of thing, and I, I never like that at all in terms of when you're trying to improve a team. Yeah, I, I definitely see your point there. I don't love that trade. I think Subban is one of the better defenders in the league. Uh, his shot is disgustingly good, but again, like I said, I think Price is a difference maker, and I think they edge it in there. Okay, uh, let's are we let's move on to the. Uh, Sports Voice After Dark Player of the Year uh, rankings uh, given to us by our our the creator of this wonderful podcast, Emmett Malik. Yeah, this is a new feature. Really excited. I thought, you know, Sports Voice After Dark just has you know some of the most important opinions about sports out there in the sports journalism world, and we needed to determine who we thought our favorite athlete of the year was, and we wanted our athlete to embody the ideals of Sports Voice After Dark. Which, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you might know as, you know, little lots of fun, little wacky, little out there, and little sub-legitimate. So, we have 32 players submitted by the members of WNUR. A few 
staff members submitted a few more players than others, but a lot strong response for most people. And um, I ranked them uh, 1 through 16, two sets of that, for, uh, you know, just to, you know, kind of see who was a little more fun than everyone else. And we have 16 matchups today, and we're just going to go through the first round, the round of 32, to see who makes in the Sweet 16, which will probably be played out later in November. Um, we'll just list the players now. We have two sides of the bracket named after our sports directors, the Michael Stern <laughs> side of the bracket and the Austin Miller side of the bracket. So in the Michael Stern side of the bracket, we have number one seed J.R. Smith facing off against number 16 seed Rob Gronkowski. Uh, we have number two seed Murray Spates versus number 15 seed Chase Daniel. Number three, Ronnie Price versus number 14, Bartolo Colon. Number four, Nick Vincent versus number 13, Craig Gardner. Number five, Alexei Ramirez versus number 12, Cam Ward. Number six, Andre Roberson versus number 11, Simone Zaza. Number seven, Joel Embiid versus number 10, Mo Harkless. And number eight, Jeff Janis versus number nine, Adam Thielen. Why don't we actually just, let's go through this side of the bracket, the Michael Stern side. Starting off with that one versus 16 matchup, J.R. Smith, just titan of Sports Voice After Dark, versus Rob Gronkowski, who was a surprise inclusion on the nominee list. I, I think, I, I mean, J.R. Smith might be the most dynamite one seed in history for this for the Sports Voice After Dark Player of the Year rankings. Rob Gronkowski's kind of, he's so out there that he's not even considered out there anymore, you know? J.R. Smith, I feel like sometimes Gronkowski does it on purpose with the, with some of the stuff he does, but J.R. Smith, it is all genuine with him. Whether it's the Instagram, the Twitter DMs, whatever he does on Instagram, I mean, the guy is the guy is legendary. I can never go against him. J.R. Smith, Smith is hilarious. However, as a freshman new to the podcast, I'm going to go with the upset. I think that I got to choose Rob Gronkowski. I hate the Patriots, too. I'm a Jets fan. So it is going against my inner core to say that Rob Gronkowski is my pick. However, if you look at one, obviously actual athletic performance, no contest there. You look at two, who do you think has more fun? Now, you say that J.R. Smith maybe is more genuine, but Rob Gronkowski knows how to have fun. We, we still don't know if J.R. Smith has a shirt on. That's, That's a good point. <laughs> That's the thing. That's a good point. But Rob Gronkowski knows how to have fun to the point where he has so much fun, it hurts literally. <laughs> he breaks his arm multiple times partying. And I think that's what's embodying the fun-loving spirit of this podcast. Obviously, I don't feel as strongly. I really don't like the Patriots. I really don't like Rob Gronkowski. But I think that he brings that element of fun. Obviously, tough to knock off the top seed, though. You know, I was, I'm, very, I'm very glad that uh, Ben here decided to go with Rob Gronkowski. You know, we like that boldness here. Uh, sadly, I I do think, you know, I, I do want to consider both of your opinions, but I, here I'm going to have to side with Josh just because I think, you know, J.R. Smith won a title and just his performance in, ga- in quarter three of game seven of the finals when he jacked those two ridiculous threes to bring them back, you know, just that's, that's what we're looking for here. Maybe in another year, Rob Gronkowski will advance farther because, to be fair, he has a lot of fun. The man has a lot of fun. So good on you, Rob Gronkowski. Sorry to see you go. On to the next matchup. Marie Spates versus Chase Daniel. Who do you guys have? I, I had a hard time with this one. Uh, Mo Spates is a very funny basketball player, former Warrior. Now he's on the Clippers, so kind of an inter-division move there. Uh, and Chase Daniel uh, somehow is making multi mil- millions of dollars a year to be not even the starting quarterback for the Eagles. He's the backup. He was signed as the third string. Obviously, they traded Sam Bradford. I respect him cashing those checks, though. I mean, he does nothing in practice. He stands there, watches, maybe gets a few reps in uh, behind future Hall of Famer Carson Wentz. Uh, 
Yeah, so most pizza, most pizza funny basketball player. I have to go chase Daniel here. Also, the two first name thing, kind of uh, kind of keeping you all off. All right, all right. And keeping you Jake. off balance a little bit. I was sort of leaning Chase Daniel, but then I took a gander at Most Bates' Instagram, and it is <laughs> on point. You've got, of course, the basketball photos, and you've got some incredible other content. You've got him, you know, practicing his boxing to stay in shape. I mean, you're looking at a top-of-the-line athlete trying to do some cross-training and involving his boxing levels. You're looking at just some of these quotations that just, I mean, the Will Smith there's a Will Smith quotation, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. And he has replaced Will Smith with the legend Smith. <laughs> and so that type of, of humor, Chase Daniel, again, I, I love, I respect the fact that he's cashing checks to do nothing. I mean, the lifestyle. Uh, but most Spates with the humor aspect and the respect for Will Smith, I got to go most Spates. I think he's just a character more than Chase Daniel. I respect the attempt for a 15-2 upset, Josh. And as a Philly fan, I love Chase Daniel, but you just watch Mo Spades play basketball, and you know the man has a love for for just playing the game the wrong way. <laughs> he, he's, he's, a, he's a shooting guard in the body of a stretch four. He's a big stretch four at that. Um, but, he, you know, he has a lot of fun. He takes a lot of bad shots, and he scores. And I don't think he'll be able to be as good this year with the Clippers as he was with the Warriors, but I'm going to go with Mo Spates for his on-the-court play. Chase Daniel, surely a fun guy. Keep getting them checks, but the way Chase Daniel plays the game of football is extremely boring. He plays it by not playing it, though. This is why. <laughs> you just blowing my mind. Uh, next matchup, Ronnie Price versus Bartolo Colon. For those who don't know, Ronnie Price was on the inaugural edition of Sports Voice After Dark. We compared him to players on the women's basketball team. We'll not go back and revisit that, but that's why he's here. That's why he's earned his three seed, but other than that, you know, maybe he hasn't done enough to warrant that seeding. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Uh, obviously, this is personal. I'm the one who submitted Bartolo Colon to the podcast, but I think I have a lot of evidence. I think you're right. Ronnie Price has not really done much to deserve this seeding, to deserve this place, whereas Bartolo Colon is one of the, if not the, funniest players in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, you just see him try out on the mound. You have no idea how he does it, how he stays at the top of his game. He's 43 years old. He's still balling out. This year, a 3-4-3 ERA, 15-8 on a young Mets team. Obviously, they fell short against the Giants in the wild card round, but that's not really on him. He's not the top-of-the-line rotation starter. He's providing quality minutes, and if you want to talk about, you know, as you said, what they should embody, the sort of slightly less legitimacy, the steroids... I mean, he is illegitimate due to steroids, and yet he comes back from a suspension. Somehow everyone forgives him for literally being a cheater because he's just so much fun and everyone loves him so much, and that's why I think he really earns it, whereas Ronnie Price, like you said, is only here because of that initial appearance. Bartolo's criminally underseated here as a 14, as Ben said. I mean, no one has more... I think Bartolo has more fun when he's watching his when he's watching a Mets game that he's not starting in than I have ever had in my entire life. He sits on the bench, he freaks out, he does funny things, uh, he's always making jokes. There's a play last year, uh, Mets against the Marlins, uh, uh, a short tapper on the ground by Justin Bohr. Bartolo Colon walk, goes over the first baseline, picks it up, flips it behind his back to the first baseman, uh, gets the out, hysterically laughing on the way to the clubhouse. In the, this is a real play in a game that mattered for the Mets as they were trying to win the NL East. Bartolo Colon just does a, a, a trick shot as a throwing to the first baseman. Obviously, he hit a home run this year against the Padres. Best ba- best play in baseball history. Quote me on that. Highlight of Mention the year. me on that. 
Bartolo Colon. I think, I run think away. we're in universal agreement with Bar- Bartolo here. You know, big up, first big upset, but wasn't really an upset. Alert. Maybe not. Not really. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to move a little faster, but yeah. great discussion. Now we have two maybe ho hum candidates: Nick Vincent versus Craig Gardner. Nick Vincent, a pitcher for the Dodgers. Oh, Man, sorry, the Mariners, Mariners, Mariners. The Mariners, and all he throws are really, really slow, high fastballs. I don't know. And Craig Gardner, a West Brom player who is also decidedly average, but crops up every once in a while to score important goals. I'll go Nick Vincent. Uh, I watch baseball, so I know who Nick Vincent is, but I have the feeling that most people who watch baseball have no idea who he is. He's been mediocrity with the Padres and Mariners his whole career, but he's got a career ERA under three. So he's pretty good, and no one knows who he guys, is. Guys bite on that 88 high fastball. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't understand why Nick Vincent is successful in Major League Baseball, but he manages to do it. I don't know anything about Craig Gardner. I'm not a huge soccer guy, and I definitely don't know who that is. So I'm going to go Nick Vincent. Also, he plays golf. And who doesn't love a guy who can just go out and have a good time on the links? Craig Gardner, fun choice, but went up against, you know, just a really fun guy. We don't know how he does it. Still a mystery. So Nick Vincent with his high fastball will move on. Now we have Alexei Ramirez, who has a negative three war in baseball, which is horrible, <laughs> horrible, versus Carolina Hurricane goalkeeper Cam Ward, who everyone says is pretty bad, but is loved by Austin Miller. I'm sorry. I just I didn't know he had a negative three war. I think I have to change my mind. I was going to go Cam Ward just because everyone says he's so bad, and I knew Alexei Ramirez... I mean, he's been in the league for a while, so he can't, like, he had a good career if you actually look at it factually. But I think knowing that he had a negative three war, I have to flip the script. You know, that's a lot of respect because you talked about Chase Daniel. He doesn't play and he gets paid. Alexei Ramirez gets paid to do his job badly. I mean, that's just astounding. I can't believe he keeps it. I got to go Alexei Ramirez for that reason. I'm all in on Alexei Ramirez, too. I think an interesting thing to note is that he was signed before this season by the Padres to be their shortstop. He was terrible with them, just terrible. Padres were really bad this year. They released him, and for some reason, the Rays signed him in August, (laughs) in early September, mind you, when they were not making the playoffs. They had said rosters were expanded. They could have had legitimately anyone in the organization play shortstop, and they decided we need 35-year-old Alexei Ramirez to give us below replacement level production. That's why he wins. Shout out to Alexei Ramirez. Love it. Do whatever you do. Now Love we have it. Andre Roberson, shooting guard, great at defense, can't shoot for the Thunder, did make some shots against the Warriors in the beginning of that series, versus Simone Zaza, who notably was subbed on in the last minutes of a quarterfinal in Italy, Germany, and the Euros to take a penalty kick, just to take a penalty kick, walks on, has a hilarious run-up, which many people say he's still taking to this day, and misses wide, and Italy loses the shootout. Uh, I go, I'll go. i go Roberson here. Uh, I respect any shooting guard in this NBA where teams are taking threes all the time. That is just openly terrible at them. He comes from the, the Rajon Rondo school of, I'm... I play a guard position, but I'm going to not shoot at all so the defense doesn't have to respect me on the perimeter. <laughs> so that's like another, that's a variation of the cashing the checks thing. Andre Roberson yeah. is good. He's a good defender, but he's a terrible shooter. He's got, I mean, I don't understand it, but um, yeah. Rumor I mean, has I respect that he might be that. sliding down to the four this year. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, uh, I was going to go Roberson too, not because of the lack of shooting, although got to respect how you can be in the NBA and shoot about as well as I can. Um but I'm going to go with him because that tenacious defense talked about. He really actually impressed me on the court in that Western Conference Finals. I think he works really hard, just like we at WNUR Sports work really hard, and that's why I think that he should be. Andre Roberson embodying the ideals of hard work. 
Uh, now we have a favorite matchup of mine, Joel Embiid, Joel the Process Embiid, versus Mo Harkless, who admittedly is on this pot, on this list simply because his name is Mo Harkless, and because once we sang the entire Kanye song off of his album, How Could You Be Mo Harkless? There you have it. Who's winning this matchup? This is another one for me where I went with the lower seed because I feel like the higher seed just sometimes tries too hard to be funny. I go, That's I went, fair. Joel Embiid I, tries to be funny. I went Mo Harkless because I saw yesterday that Joel Embiid commented on an Instagram post of Chandler Parsons <laughs> saying that uh, there, were, there was a curse word involved, so I'm not going to repeat it uh, for this podcast, but Joel Embiid, who has played zero NBA games, was calling out Chandler Parsons, who is making a lot of money and has been an all-star. So I think that's pretty funny, that uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I respect the hustle with the trying to be funny, but it's just too much. Mo Harkless, the name says it all. I have to disagree, not because I disagree with what you're saying, but I go with Joel Embiid because he's hilarious. He's not afraid. You're right, he's trying hard, but he's challenging guys like LeBron and Chandler Parsons who are established in this league, and he says, I'm just going to be great. I don't really care what you guys say. And if anyone saw that most recent preseason game, he looked like a 7-3 Michael Jordan. I mean, he was hitting pump fake, driving, step-back shots, fall-away jumpers. He looked like he was actually about to be the MVP of the league, and I'm terrified because... I don't know. What if the Sixers are good? How can we all? How can we handle that emotionally if they like suddenly become good? I'm gonna let my Philadelphia bias show through in this one. Mo Harkless, your name is great, and Joel Embiid. Maybe he does try too hard, but hey, trying is better than you know being in there for your name. Being in there for your name. So Joel Embiid will advance. Uh, keep drinking those Shirley Temples. Now we have white receiver matchup in the NFC North. Jim Rats. Jeff Janis versus Adam Thielen. What do you guys have in just an all-time matchup? This one was just a toss-up for me. You got <laughs> gritty Adam Thielen, who went to Minnesota State University at Mankato, which obviously not an FBS school most people haven't heard of, going up against Jeff Janis, who went to Saginaw Valley State University, both very under-the-radar universities. Both guys are, I heard they're always first in the gym, last one out. Scrappy. Uh, scrappy, very cerebral players, but... I'm just going to go, oh, this is even Packers against Vikings. I mean, it's very hard, Wisconsin <laughs> against Minnesota. I still think I'm going to go Jeff Janis, though the Packers are just a more tough team, a tough environment up there in Green Bay. Again, got to go against you on this one. I'm with Thielen. Uh, the Vikings the Vikings are 5-0. and They're the only undefeated team in the league. And a lot of that was this week. Thielen came out of nowhere to become everyone's favorite player in the NFL. I mean, who the heck is this guy who just goes off and like wins the Vikings the game? I mean, again, Jeff Janis for years now has been that tantalizing combination of speed and size. Tantalizing. <laughs> tantalizing. He's got 4'3 speed and he's, what, 6'3? And he just can't catch the ball. Thielen comes out of nowhere to become your favorite player. And I think he's like our podcast. You know, he's everyone's favorite. You know, this is really tough. I'm tempted to do a coin flip for this one. Uh, these guys are really hard to decide between. But in the end, you know, I think that Hail Mary catch that Jeff Janis made... No one mentioned it. I'm going to mention it. And I'm just going to tip the scales in Jeff Janis's favor for coming up in big moments. But Adam Thielen, keep grinding. Just just keep hustling in the gym, and you know maybe one day you'll make you'll you'll get past the round one sports horse after a gap of the year. Now we're about 43 minutes of this podcast, so we're at a a junction uh, a junction where we could we have two options. I think we could forego the lightning round and deal with the second half of this bracket, or we can leave the second half of this bracket for another time 
and do the lightning round a staple of Sports Horse After Dark. Both of you seem to be saying you want the lightning round. Of think, course. I think we have to have the lightning okay, round. Okay, we have to have the lightning round, so... It's not Sports Horse After we Dark. We do have one round. half of the bracket completed. It was six, It was eight matchups, so we got through a lot there. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the second half of this bracket for you another time. So we're going to go on to the lightning round, Sports Horse After Dark staple. For those who are listening for the first time or need a refresher... Um, it's ten questions for both contestants. They increase in difficulty. There are three easy questions. They're worth one point each. Three medium questions worth two points each. Three hard questions worth three points each. And a Philly sports special, which is worth four points if you get it right. Uh, this week's um, Sports Voice After a Lightning Round, I will admit, has not been vetted. It has not been peer-reviewed by other friends of mine, which usually check to make sure it's fair, so... There might be some biases in here. I hope not. I hope it's a fair lightning round for both players. Usually we start off by a rock, paper, scissors, shoot to determine who wants to go first or second. It'll be known that there's a Landed Donovan question in the first round, tangentially Landed Donovan, and there's a rapper question of the week in the second round. All right. All right. So Ben, ben Krieger... <laughs> wins in three rounds of rock paper scissors. <laughs> it was a would hard you, fought battle. Would you like to go first or second? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna defer, so I'll go defer. second. Defer, <laughs> alright. Power half. move. Power move. So here we go, Josh Byrne, easy question. Who upset number six ranked Houston on Saturday in college football forty six to forty? Wow. I'm blanking out right <laughs> I'd now. I'd like to steal the question. <laughs> you, you may not steal. You can say it if he doesn't get it. Oh, it's Navy, of course. Oh, Navy, correct. Well done. Way to reach for that one. So one point. <laughs> Gotta love the triple option. Um, that was next, uh, next easy question. Who withdrew from the Safeway Open and the Turkish Airlines Open and has yet to compete in 2016? Tiger Woods, of that course. That is correct. Easy question. Doing well. Two out of two. Next easy question. We talked about this, as Jim Nance and Phil Sim likes to say. Uh, which NL- NHL star was sidelined with another concussion? Sidney Crosby. All right, so three out of three, three points. Now a medium question, which I think you might know the answer. Uh, who hit the game-winning RBI double Monday night against the Cubs in the 13th inning? New York boy Joe Panic. That is correct. All right, so five points. Josh Burton off to an easy start. Uh, next medium question, who nailed the game-winning field goal as time expired on Monday night? Football. Roberto Aguayo. That is correct. All right, it's getting dicey here. He's got seven points. Gets harder, though. Who dropped 33 points on the Denver Nuggets to continue his scorching preseason? D'Angelo Russell. All right. All the mediums, all of the easies, nine points. Can he get the hard ones? Can you name all five quarterbacks to appear for the Browns in their first four games this season? Clipboard Jesus, Charlie Whitehurst, Terrell Pryor, Cody Kessler, Josh McCown, and... Oh, man. You have four. Tick-tock. Who is the last quarterback? Do you know? Oh, Robert Griffin III. That is correct. Uh oh. Josh Byrd <laughs> has 12 points and is one point away from the record. Known every question. <laughs> he knew every one. He might know this one. Maybe not. Who scored the game winning goal in overtime in NHL preseason against the Sharks on Sunday? Um, that's hard. I will go with. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. No, it was the Ducks, and it was Corey Perry. Uh, the Landon Donovan question of the week. Uh, Landon Donovan uh, used to play for the United States men's national team, and one of his former teammates scored and assisted a goal in the USA's 2-0 win over Cuba. Can you name that player? Striker for the United States. 
Michael Bradley. No, good guess. This was Chris Wondolowski. Okay. So, okay. all right, still at 12 points. Really impressive. Philly Sports Special for 14, for 16 points, if you get it right. Uh, which Sixer guard hit a buzzer-beater three at the end of the third quarter against the Cavaliers? I believe it was Gerald Henderson. No, good guess. Oh. This was Sergio Rodriguez. <laughs> All right, so 12 <laughs> points for Josh Byrne. Really high total. That was uh, That's tough. Ben it's Krieger, it's tough. But I do think this is a relatively easy lightning round as lightning rounds go. So you need 12 points to tie. Let's see if you can get it started with the easy questions. Number one, who handed Tennessee its first loss of the season in overtime after a wild regulation finish? Oh, gosh, I was just looking at this, and I'm totally blanking on it. Um, I want to say... It, it was, was college game day. Yeah, I know. I want to say it was like... It's an SEC team. Yeah, I want to say... I'm thinking Tennessee. I want to say LSU. No, the answer is uh, Texas A&M. Off to a rocky start <laughs> Not here. good. It was not it's a good okay. start. It's uh, okay. Here's an easy, easy one, soft serve. Which team is the only remaining undefeated team in the NFL? Minnesota Vikings. That's correct. So one point now. Next one, which Detroit Piston is out for six to eight weeks with a knee injury? Oh, um, a knee injury is Reggie Jackson. That is correct. So two points. Uh, here's one. I, I, you, I know you were watching this game, but can you get it? Medium. Which two former Phillies homered in the NLDS on Monday night in Dodgers Nationals? Which two former Phillies? Okay. It was one on Jason Worth. That is one. Okay. The other one, Jason Worth is a national, so this yeah. guy is a Dodger. I just want to make sure that I'm not going to say the wrong Dodger from the Phillies because there's quite a few. Carlos Ruiz. That is correct. Oh. All right, so four points now. Moving along. Next, medium one. Maybe this is a little hard. I don't know. It was a big game. It was Alabama versus Arkansas. One player in Alabama had three interceptions, including a 100-yard pick six. Do you know his I name? I don't know his name. All right, maybe that was too hard. I'm I just, sorry. No, I just didn't, I didn't uh, get to see that it's game. It's Minka Fitzpatrick. <laughs> had a great game. game. Great game. Uh, here you go. Here's a soccer question. Oh, boy. Uh, which midfielder scored a long-distance goal for France to help defeat the Netherlands in World Cup qualifying 1-0? Midfielder. French midfielder. There are a few of them, and one of them was really, really good. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of French players. I can think of Griezmann and Ribéry, and that's pretty much it. I'm going to go. Those are both forwards, though, so that's not really going to help me here. Uh, I have no idea who it is. This is Paul Pogba. Oh, I, ha- I do know Pogba. I should have known right, that one. All right, so we're at four points. You're going to need... We're going to need a we're gonna need miracle. You're going to need all, a lot of these, yeah. but let's start Let's start with a hard one. Do you know the player that botched the snap on Sunday for the Chargers to spoil the potential game-winning field goal against the Raiders? So it's going to be the Chargers? I will give you a hint. It's the punter for the yeah, Chargers. Yeah, it's um, like... Like, it's like Brandon Skrulls. I don't know how to know. It's not. It's Drew Kayser. Oh, it changed, <laughs> changed from last year. It changed from last know. year. Okay. It was some guy named like Skrulls. All right, or so sh- you might need all of these now yeah, to was, win. It's it's tough. getting dicey, but the debut is not going well. Can you name the top three players on the Cubs in postseason RBIs? Two of them are pitchers. That's a hint, but we need to make this interesting. <laughs> Two of them are pitchers. Oh my gosh. I definitely cannot name the top three. Two can of you, you, can, you can take some guesses. You might yeah, get one of see. them. It's a big. One of these guys is really I good. Mean, Chris Bryant. There you go. But and now you know the other two the other pitchers. pitchers though. <laughs> um, let's see who started for the Cubs. I'm gonna say there's no way it's him. So I'm gonna go with um, Lester. Is Lester? Not runner? Lester. Yeah. He doesn't hit well. Um, gosh, who even? 
started the other two games. Lackey? <laughs> no, Lackey uh, starting tonight, I believe. So is this his first one? It, yeah. This was Chris Bryant was number one yeah. with three, tied with Jake Arrieta, who hit a three-run right. home run. Oh, that's right. And then also number three with two RBIs is Kyle Hendricks. This is ridiculous. Uh, the Cubs, the Cubs pitching and staff. And if you, if you, in case you were wondering, Travis Wood also hit a home run. <laughs> he was not in the top three. The so now for seven points, which would bring you close with 11 if you can get these next two, but it'd be respectable. So here we go. Which young rookie quarterback revealed on Tuesday that he passed up on tickets to a Kanye concert in late September, that's when the concert was, instead to sleep. I didn't hear about this, but I'm going to think about this. Young rookie quarterback. There's a few of them in the league. Yeah, but I'm just going to... I'm going to think it was a bigger name, because otherwise, why would we care? I'm going to say it's Dak Prescott. That is correct. Three points, so now we're at seven. That is about the average total. So okay, you, you, so respectable. respectable. I've got to... to Here, here's a hard one. The Philly Sports Special for coming close to a win against an on-form Josh Burton. If you get this, you'll have a lot of respect from the listeners. Which Philadelphia Union goalkeeper appeared for Jamaica <laughs> in an international friendly on Tuesday? I can name exactly zero players for the Philadelphia Union. So. That's a shame. It's a, this was hard, but so was Sergio Rodriguez. No, I mean, fair. people can guess Sixers. People can't guess Union players. This is Andre Blake, okay. um, MLS All-Star. Um, started in the MLS All-Star game, called up to Jamaica. That's all right. I'm no seeing a done. lot of regret from deferring because I seven <laughs> points for Ben yeah. Krieger, very strong first performance. Yeah. But Josh Byrne had that first set of questions yeah. and just blew through them. I don't think it was a, it was biased. I just think that I have <laughs> no. I just think I happen to know yeah. all of the questions on his side just from my personal knowledge. As I yeah, say, I was you, very impressed. You named all five of the Browns quarterbacks. Yeah, That's and, what and got you forgot you the best one, RG three, <laughs> the most my, interesting one. My life motto is: if you come at the king, you best not miss. Wow. Wow. Today, Ben came at the king. There you have it. Fair we close enough. with a wire reference. Um, this has been Sports Wars <laughs> After Dark. Thanks to Josh Byrne, Ben Krieger. A lot of fun talking about Athlete of the Year and then some very good NHL analysis and baseball schedule. Um, listen, follow along with the bracket, which will be out there for this podcast. And make sure you tune in to see who's, who's advancing in Athlete of the Year. This has been Sports Wars After Dark. <laughs>